chapter 12, Luke chapter 12, verses 1 through 12. Follow along in your copy God's Word. I'm reading from the New King James. I don't know if it's behind the screen here. Okay. Verse 1. In the meantime, when an innumerable multitude of people had gathered together so that they trampled one another, he began to say to his disciples, First of all, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. For there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have spoken in dark will be heard in the light, and what you have spoken in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. And I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after they have no more that they can do, but I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after he has killed, has the power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins, and not one of them is forgotten before God? Verse 7, But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, and you are more valuable than many sparrows. Also, I say to you, whoever confesses me before men Him, the Son of Man, will also confess before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it it will be forgiven him. But to him who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven. Now when you... When they bring you to the synagogues and to the magistrates and the authorities, do not worry about how or what you should answer or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Let's bow our heads in prayer before Colin comes to minister and explain this passage to us. Thank you, Lord, for your word. We know that it is your inspired word that you have given to us as our final authority for life. We pray that our spiritual eyes will be open and enlightened with your truth as this passage is expounded and explained to us. Give Pastor Colin guidance and wisdom as he teaches this morning. Amen. Thank you, Craig. This is our crew. These are all of the people in the church who don't go camping. I'm just kidding. I'm sure many of you like to camp. You just didn't do Labor Day camping this year. I grew up camping once a week. Once a week. I always say that. One time a year. One weekend a year. If I went camping once a week, I'd be Labor Day camping today. Um, And I did it once once a weekend a year. That was good for me. I enjoyed it. I, I don't know when our family will get to camping, though. When our kids start asking. Well, most of us are familiar with the saying, you wear your, your heart on your sleeve. If you do that, you are, you're somebody who doesn't hide their feelings. Our one-year-old, Bodhi, he wears his heart on his sleeve. When we're eating a meal, you put him in his high chair, you don't have to look to see when he's done eating. You just hear him. He's just yelling. He's, just, he's making it known. He is a vocal child. He wears his heart on his sleeve. Well, in our passage this morning, Jesus is calling us not necessarily to wear our heart on our sleeve, but to wear our faith on our sleeve. We're going to see four ways to wear our faith on our sleeve. 
to clearly make known that we belong to Jesus. That we've been united to Jesus. That we submit our lives to Jesus. Four ways that we wear our faith on our sleeve. So we're going to dive right in. Let's look at the first way. We live with integrity. We live with integrity. Look back with me at the first three verses of the passage. In the meantime, when so many thousands of the people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he, Jesus, began to say to his disciples first, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. So the crowds are gathering. People, they they want to see Jesus. he's, He's become something of a local celebrity in the eyes of the people. They are clamoring to see him. But what's interesting, and and is is not surprising when we consider who Jesus is, the perfect God-man, but what's interesting is Jesus doesn't embrace this status that people are ascribing to him. He doesn't embrace the celebrity status. He doesn't warmly receive the crowds as most people would. He doesn't go around like kissing babies, signing autographs. He's not like crowd surfing to his boat and hopping on the lake and sailing away. He's not embracing it. He does the opposite of what ordinary, finite, sinful people would probably be tempted to do. He ignores the crowds. At least he does this momentarily. He turns to his disciples. You see where he says there, Luke writes to us in that first verse, these crowds, they're, they're coming to him, they're trampling one another, and, it, and Luke doesn't say, and he began to teach the crowds. Luke says that he turned to his disciples first, and he says a word to them. So he shifts his focus away from the crowd and to the disciples, and he teaches them. He teaches them four maybe uncomfortable truths, but four truths about how to wear your faith on your sleeve. So he doesn't do what comes easy. Embracing the crowd would have been easy. Jesus does what is far less pleasant. He teaches uncomfortable truths. And that's just a reminder to us, as we've seen over and over and over again in the book of Luke, that that Jesus, the Son of God, he is determined. His face is set like flint. He has a mission to accomplish. The Father has purposed that, that Jesus is going to die, And Jesus is completely focused on that mission. So when he teaches, he teaches with that mission in mind. He doesn't get sidetracked by all the crowds wanting to see him. He doesn't teach a bunch of fluff. He doesn't mince his words. He just, he gets straight to the heart of the matter. Now I am sure that his disciples, I'm sure that they were tempted by, by the crowds. That they were like, we want to embrace the celebrity status of Jesus. We want, we want to, to embrace the crowds. They want to revel in the popularity of of Jesus. I'm sure that that was was at least a temptation for them. And Jesus is basically saying, forget about those people right now. I've got something important to say to you. It'll be difficult to hear, but you need to hear it. And the first of those, those four truths that he has to teach us is live with integrity. Now, in the immediate context here, in this passage what Jesus is driving at is don't be like the Pharisees. They're hypocrites. They say one thing, 
but they do another. They have one way that they live in public, and then they have a different way that they live in private. They say one thing, but they do another. They teach others to do things, but they themselves don't do them. They teach others not to do things, but they themselves do them. They say one thing, but they do another. Their lives aren't consistent. They have no integrity. Now, this is basically like a summary. This, these first few verses in Luke 12 are like a summary statement for everything that Jesus just said to the Pharisees' faces back in chapter 11. Remember those, those woes from last week? That's the hypocrisy that Jesus is talking about. The religious leaders, they want to look super spiritual. They want to look the part of being close to God. They want to be the people, they want to be people that, that others look to and say, we look to you as our spiritual leaders. But if you peel back the curtain of their lives, they are far from God. They are living self-centered lives. They're presenting themselves like they're representatives of God, when in reality, Jesus is saying, no, they're enemies of God. So Jesus gives us a warning here. Don't be like the Pharisees. Live with integrity. Because here's the real kicker. One day, your inner self, my inner self, will be revealed. Right now, that's just between you and God. Whatever you are on the inside, I can't see your heart, you can't see my heart. I pray by the grace of God this isn't true, but you could be faking it, I could be faking it, we could all just be faking it. We could be just like the Pharisees. We wash our hands, but our hearts are rotten. That was the first point from last week's sermon. We could wash our hands, we could look good on the outside, but our hearts are rotten. I'm going to stop preaching last week's sermon, I'm going to stick with this week. Go back and listen to last week's sermon again. You know who wore their faith on their sleeve maybe the most overtly in Jesus' day? The Pharisees. The Pharisees were the ones who most, who most adamantly were making known their, their, their standing before God, their relationship to God. Now, obviously, it was a distorted faith. They were not wearing their faith on their sleeve as they should have. Jesus had harsh rebukes for the kind of faith that the Pharisees had. But from an outside perspective, like if you and I just looked at the Pharisees, we could have easily been deceived and thought, look at them, they wear their faith on their sleeve. The difference is, Jesus is pointing out to us, they did it with no integrity. Jesus is saying, wear your faith on your sleeve, but do it with integrity. Start with integrity. It's, it's the foundation for everything that follows in our, in our proclamation of Him. So who you are on the inside, it matters first and foremost. We want to share Jesus with others. We want to, to integrate our faith into everyday conversations. We want to do those things, do it with integrity. Let's make sure that we do it with integrity. Because if we lack integrity... It's going to come out. Sooner or later, the act will be up. Everything will be made known. God will lay everything bare, and our thoughts and intentions and motives and desires, they are all going to be clearly revealed. You cannot fake it till you make it. You can fake it until you meet your maker. We can fake it 
until we stand before the throne of our God. So live with integrity. And there are, there are all kinds of ways that we are tempted not to. We're tempted to greet someone warmly on a Sunday morning and then talk about them poorly behind their back Sunday night. We're tempted to, to talk about how much, how much we love the word, but then we fail to read it regularly. We're tempted to be, to be patient and to speak kindly to our kids in public, but then to treat them harshly at home. All right, this one's for all the college students. I love you. That's why I'm giving you this. We are tempted to show our parents that we've made the dean's list, but then to work with others on our online quizzes. You know what I'm talking about. Even if you haven't done it, you know the temptation's there. Online quizzes, we're just going to work together. We're tempted to say that, that we will pray for people, or even that we have been praying for people, but we're just doing it because we feel bad that we forgot to do it and we want to save face. Who are you when nobody is looking? Or to use Jesus' words from these first few verses in Luke 12, who are you when you're in the dark? Who are you when you whisper in private rooms? We are called to wear our faith on our sleeve. We're called to boldly, to clearly make known our allegiance to Christ. And the first way to do that is to live with integrity. You must be a person of integrity to represent King Jesus well. All right, let's consider the second way that Jesus says we're to wear our faith on our sleeve. By fearing God and not man. Look with me again at verses 4 to 7. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. You are of more value than many sparrows. So Jesus is, he is striking at the heart of a very real temptation. Fearing what others can do to us because of our faith. Now he's going to come back to this, honestly, a couple times in this passage. This is a, a key theme. This is important. Jesus spends time on this. Taken to the extreme, this fear is the fear of being killed for our faith. That will hinder us from wearing our faith on our sleeve. That kind of fear will cripple us. And so Jesus, he's reshaping how we should think about fear and who we should really fear. He's teaching us here that that fear itself isn't the problem. Fear is a healthy attitude when it's a right response to understanding who God is. Fear of man and what man can do to us, that's not where our fear should lie. So Jesus, he's not removing fear entirely from the conversation. He's not saying, don't worry about fear. He's helping us to understand who to fear and why to fear them. We fear God, not man. And we fear God because he wields power not just over our bodies, but over our souls. Genesis 1, that sets the foundation for why God has the capacity to cast into hell. He is the maker of all things. He is our creator. He has authority not over just our bodies, but over our souls. So mere men, mere mortals, they can do harm to our body, but God can cast us into hell, where the torment is eternal, where the suffering 
it never ends. So fear him. Jesus says, don't fear people. The more that we get that truth, the better that we are at wearing our faith on our sleeve. All right, so with that being said, what do we do with verse 7? Because if you look back at verse 7, Jesus has just hammered home that we are to fear God. He makes that very clear. Fear him who has authority to cast you into hell. Now in verse 7, Jesus says, fear not. Okay, well, which is it? Do, do, we, do we fear or do we, do we not fear? Classic example, the answer is yes. Gotta love a good yes answer to an either-or question. Jesus is saying yes. In one sense, we absolutely fear God. In another sense, we do not fear God. There's a tension here. One extreme of not fearing God enough, and the other extreme of fearing God too much. Jesus is helping us to see there is a sweet spot of fear. If we can understand and embrace this sweet spot of fear, we are all the better equipped to represent him well, to clearly and to boldly make known our allegiance to Christ. So the question this morning for you is, is what extreme are you tempted toward? And that could change on like a day-by-day basis. That could change based on your circumstances. That might be a moment-by-moment. You may have come in here tempted to fear God over, like too much, and you may leave here tempted to fear God not enough. But what are you, what are you tempted towards this morning? Maybe you're, you're tempted to not fear God enough. You treat him flippantly. You don't have a healthy appreciation for how holy and majestic and powerful he is. He's full of wrath towards sin. Maybe today you're tempted to treat him as so many people who who do not know the Lord would treat him, like the man upstairs. And Jesus is swift in saying that's completely the wrong way to think about God. If you need a reminder, if you're taking notes, just write these passages down. If you need a reminder of how holy and powerful and worthy of our fear God is, read Isaiah 5. Read Exodus 32. Read the last five chapters of Job. We'll be reminded this is why we fear the Lord. This is a healthy fear of an all-consuming God. He's not to be trifled with. So don't make light of God. Don't downplay who God is. Because to go along with that, when we downplay who God is, when we make light of who God is, guess what just naturally follows? I downplay my sin. I make light of my sin. I find ways to think that sin isn't a big deal. I don't feel a a healthy compulsion to wear my faith on my sleeve. I, I can live like the world, and it's okay. And so Jesus is reminding us, there is an appropriate fear of God. Ultimately, For those who are not in Christ, those who who ultimately refuse to fear God, those who refuse to, to, to turn from sin, those who live for themselves and embrace all that the world has to offer, they will be cast into hell by the very God that they rejected, the God that they made light of, the God that they did not appropriately fear. Now maybe you're tempted in the opposite direction this morning. Maybe you're tempted to to view God as cold and calculating. And you fear him, as I've heard said before, with a a hopeless terror. Now, if you're not in Christ, that's justified. If you are in Christ, you should not fear God with a hopeless terror. Jesus reassures us. 
He reassures us who are in Christ in verse 7, God loves you. He cares for you. Genesis 1, we were made in his image. We hold value in his eyes because he has made us in his image. So yes, take holiness seriously. Don't minimize sin. Don't minimize how awesome and powerful and worthy of obedience God is. But also, don't cower in fear. I love Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1 reminds us of the deep love with which God loves us. He starts in in verse 7. In Christ we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. God has lavished his grace upon us. So let's remember who God is, and let's, let's live in that sweet spot of appropriately fearing him. And as we do that, we will wear our faith on our sleeve well. Because our fear is not directed towards other people. We're not afraid of of what other people think of us, of what other people could do to us. We're not afraid of how they might treat us because we've shifted our fear from people to God and we fear God in the right ways. We have a healthy fear of him that enables us to then fearlessly live for him. So that's the second way that we clearly make known that we belong to God. We wear our faith on our sleeve. Let's look at the third way. We acknowledge Christ. Read again with me, verses 8 through 10. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. So the first part of these verses is pretty straightforward. And I, I was tempted this week to somehow find a way to be like, you know what, let's just kind of ignore verse 10, because that's a really messy verse. Everybody just look down. They're like, what's verse 10? Oh, unforgivable sin. That's messy. I was tempted to do that, but we're going to cover it. I was also tempted when Steve and I were talking about um, which passage I would preach. I said this, this week, September 5th, and then I read it, and I was like, wait, Steve, maybe I'll do the 12th. Too little, too late. So we are going to dive into that. But first we see in the first half, pretty straightforward verses. Obvious truth here, but also like fundamentally necessary. Those who wear their faith on their sleeve are those who acknowledge Christ before others. They use their words to clearly make known, I have been united to Christ. You've probably heard this this saying at some point in your life. Preach the gospel always, and when necessary, use words. So here's the problem with that. Words are always necessary to preach the gospel. Words are always necessary to acknowledge Christ. Now, how we live, that's super important. And I get that 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 saying is driving at how we live matters, and it totally does. But don't forget that you can't preach the gospel You can't make Christ known without using words. You must use your mouth if you want to wear your faith on your sleeve. You see, what Jesus is driving at here is that we are called to a public faith. Now, all too often, we want to make it entirely private. 
We want to make it just about like, like me and my Savior. Me and Jesus, we have this little relationship, and I, and I keep it pretty much to myself. Now, there is an intimacy to our walk with the Lord. I'm, I'm not saying that, that we, we neglect to have, have intimate, private time with Him. But there's also a very public element to our faith. We embrace opportunities to, to make Christ known. We're not ashamed of our allegiance to Christ. And sometimes I can take that, I have this personal relationship with the Lord, and I have my, my private time with Him, and I can actually use that as an excuse to not be public with my faith. I'm, I'm ashamed. I, I don't want to bring Christ into this relationship because it'll make it uncomfortable. Now here in these verses, the disciples, they were, they were faced with some serious threats because of their faith. The governing authorities, the religious leaders, they were antagonistic towards followers of Christ. We're going to see real soon that there was a threat they would even be brought into the courts and have to stand before their authorities. And, and they would be questioned for their faith. People all over the world, they are, they are facing similar threats today. I mean, Christians are suffering in China, in Afghanistan, their lives are at risk because they are Christians. Now, most of us this morning, we're not in those positions. We're not being brought before ruling authorities. We're not being questioned for our faith. In our context, we, we face social pressure. We face social pressure all the time. Social pressure to just be quiet about the Lord. To, to downplay our, our, our identity as Christians. To downplay our belief in God's Word. To, to fit in more with everyone around us. To just go with the flow. Don't talk about your faith. Don't live a life that's consistent with your faith. Don't live a life that's submitted to some ancient book. Just get with the times. Fit in. And Jesus is calling us to courage. Jesus is calling us to boldness. Graciously, winsomely, clearly make Christ known. And so we share with others what Christ has done in our lives. We tell others about God's faithfulness to us. We tell others about the hope and the peace that we have. When we have opportunity, we share what God is doing in our hearts and in our lives. Don't fit in because it's easier. Don't sit back and just be quiet because talking about Jesus is weird or it's socially awkward. It may be those things. Don't let those things rule. And if somebody takes it a step further, and they may harass you, they may malign you, they may speak harshly to you because you're a Christian, and yet Jesus says, acknowledge me, don't deny me before men. So that's verses 8 and 9. Those two verses, very straightforward. The next couple of verses, not so much. There's been a lot of debate in church history about the, the unforgivable sin. What does it mean to blaspheme the Holy Spirit? What do we do with that? And lots of answers have been given. If you wanted to, to, to crack open a commentary on Luke chapter 12, you would be given many possibilities. What is Jesus saying? What's the best way to understand blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? I think verses 8 and 9 actually help us understand verse 10. Context is king. Jesus says, Back in verses 8 and 9, he says that the one who denies him will be denied before the angels of God. So Jesus, he is, he is getting at this final condemnation before God. That, that the one who ultimately denies Christ in a very final sense will also be denied before the angels of God. 
The kind of denial that Jesus is talking about, it is, it is a persistent, unrepentant unbelief that, that emanates from a hardened heart. It is, it is seeing the work of the Spirit through the Son and rejecting it. Rather than acknowledging Christ, those people deny Christ. Those are the people who will be denied before the angels of God. And the next verse is really just echoing that thought. The person who blasphemes the Holy Spirit and is not forgiven is a person who has lived their life in persistent, unrepentant unbelief despite having clearly seen the work of the Holy Spirit through the Son. They deny Him and the Spirit's work through Him. Not like a one-time denial. We see that with, with Peter. We're going to see that in the book of Luke. Peter denies Christ. The Bible literally uses the term deny. And yet Peter was not guilty of this unforgivable sin. He hadn't committed blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. That was a moment of sinful weakness. That was a moment of sinful doubt and fear. But it was not a persistent, hardened heart against God. The religious leaders are a better example of that. Jesus had been healing people. And he'd been doing it by, by the power of the Spirit. But instead of recognizing the work of the Spirit, like back in chapter 11, instead of rejoicing in the grace of God, instead of rejoicing that, that the kingdom of God was pushing back the kingdom of darkness, the religious leaders saw what Jesus was doing, and they said, he's doing that through the power of Satan. Not the power of the Spirit. He's doing it through the power of Satan. They rejected the work of the Spirit through the Son. Over and over again, they opposed Christ. They failed to rightly recognize the work of the Spirit. This was a firm, and it was a complete denial, and it was a denial to to the end of their days. A hardened heart, a heart that is dead in sin, has never been brought to life by the grace of God. That person will not be forgiven because that person has no faith. Now, if God in His mercy... If God in His grace has saved you, He has given you a new heart. A heart that, that, is, that is not capable of committing the unforgivable sin because one who is truly born again has a real and a lasting faith. Now, we, we, we pray that God would keep us from sin, but we are capable of wavering. We may doubt. We may be guilty of Peter's sin at some point in our lives, a moment of denial but not the sin of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Not the sin of complete and persistent denial of Christ. The denial that leads to condemnation. So if you fear that that you've maybe committed the unforgivable sin, maybe this is the first time you've ever heard of it, but if you fear that you've maybe committed the unforgivable sin, then, then that fear itself is evidence that you haven't. Because you're showing that God has given you new desires. God has given you desires to seek after Him. You're showing that God has given you faith. You're showing that, that your heart is not hard, and, and so keep working out your salvation with fear and trembling. Keep living to make Christ known, to acknowledge Him before men and not to deny Him. Keep working hard to live in unashamed public faith. And as we do that, there is real comfort in what comes next. Our fourth and final way to, to wear our faith on our sleeve We trust God to speak through us. Luke 12, verses 11 and 12, the last two of our passage. 
And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Now Jesus is addressing a a very real fear here. What if I speak up? What What if I make known that I am united to Christ, that I belong to Christ? What if others question me? What if, they, what if they corner me with their words and I don't know what to say? Jesus comforts us and he encourages us. He says the Spirit will give you words to say. The Spirit will teach you what to say. So in light of that, I actually, I've just been looking down at blank pieces of paper. I have no notes. I didn't prepare at all today. I'm kidding. I didn't do that. I prepared. Why did I do that? Seems like maybe it goes a little counter to what Jesus just said. So I want to say this as well. These verses don't give us a license to be lazy, to neglect to study the Word, to neglect to learn the truth of God's Word. These verses, they don't give us an excuse to neglect to learn, to articulate, and to explain the truth to others. Preparing well and trusting in the Lord are not mutually exclusive ideas. Jesus is not pitting preparation against faith here. How can I say that? Because there is all kinds of scripture that commands us to be students of the word. To know what the Bible says so that we might provide a defense when we are questioned. 1 Peter 3.15 sums it up well. In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Some actually really similar language here, even though Peter is communicating like the other end of, the, uh, of this tension. Peter says, be prepared to make a defense. Jesus has, has just said, uh, when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, don't be anxious about how you should defend yourself. And Peter is saying, Be prepared. So we are called to preparation. We know, we should know what we believe. We should know why we believe it. And at the same time, here's where Luke 12 comes in. Don't be anxious when you're confronted. Don't be worried. Trust the Lord. That the Holy Spirit will give you the words. So work hard to be prepared. And at the same time, trust the Lord to speak through you. Fear and, fear and doubt, they can, they can paralyze us. It is, it is impossible to live confidently, it's impossible to live boldly for the Lord while we are anxious and uncertain and, and fearful. And so Jesus has given us four ways to wear our faith on our sleeve. Live with integrity. Fear God, not man. Acknowledge Christ. And trust God to speak through you. So let's wear our faith on our sleeve. And let's remember each of these four ways to do it. Now, when I preach, which Steve occasionally lets me do, I often say this. I can't get away from saying I have to say it. We can't do any of these things in our own strength. I can't live boldly for Christ apart from the grace of God at work in my life. 
That's why we close every sermon in prayer. We don't just pray because it's like kind of just what you do. And if we are guilty of that, then Lord, forgive us. Because we, we shouldn't just do things because that's just how we do them. We pray at the end of the service because our prayer is a plea. God, you've given us your word. You have taught us through your word. You have challenged us. You have convicted us. You have moved in our hearts this morning. Please, by your grace, enable us to do everything that we have just heard. So we have to ask God for his help. Help us to live for you, Lord. Help us to not hide in the shadows. Help us to not not passively sit back. Help us to not just go with the flow of the world. We need God's help to live with integrity. We need his help to, to fear him, to acknowledge Christ, and to trust him to speak through us. And it doesn't matter if you're a naturally confident person. It doesn't matter if you're a naturally self-assured person. It doesn't matter if you're, if you're naturally an outgoing person or naturally a more reserved person. It doesn't matter if you're naturally really persuasive with words or if you naturally stumble over your words. If you're in Christ, you're called to live with boldness and clarity, and you also need the grace of God to do it. So let's, let's do that. Let's work hard to obey, to do what what has been set before us here in Luke 12. Let's, let's work hard to obey, and then let's also ask God to give us the grace to obey. Let's pray together. Father God, we are a needy people. Not just like sometimes we need you and, and sometimes we don't. Sometimes we've got things figured out and sometimes we don't. No, Lord, we, we need you every moment of every day. From the, the, the breath that we take, the beat of our heart, to the words that we say before others, to the way that we carry ourselves in this world. Lord, we need you every single step of the way. Apart from you, we're powerless to do anything. Apart from you, we're going we're gonna to fall on our face time and time and time again. Lord, keep us from that temptation to try, to try to live out of a strength that, that we do not possess. Lord, give us grace to obey. Lord, give us grace to speak clearly of you when opportunities arise. Lord, we pray that, that, you, would, that you would not only give us opportunity to, to integrate our faith into our lives in everyday conversations. Don't just give us that opportunity, Lord, because honestly, we can pray that, and it's like, it's a given. You, you give us ample opportunity to do that. You always are giving us opportunity. God, I pray that, that you would not only give us opportunity, but you would give us boldness, that you would keep us from fear, that you would give us the words to speak as we seek to, to faithfully know and understand what your word has to say. Come before you humbly asking for your help. We have, we have no one else that we can turn to. We, on, we only find the strength in you. And so we pray that you would give us that grace this morning. Pray all of these things in Christ's name. Amen.